Along came Jones, brown, talking Jones, brown, so walking Jones, low talking Jones. Along came lonely, lanky Jones. And he dragged her, and then he tied her up, and then he lit the fuse to the dynamite, and then, and then, and then along came Jones, Carthen Jones, slow walking Jones, slow talking Jones. Along came lonely, lanky Jones. Then he took slit to an hour into a furlack sap. He said, if you don't give me the deed to your ranch, I'm going to tie her to the railroad track. And then he tied her. And then he tied her up. And then the train started coming. And then, and then, and then along came Jones, do, 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 do. talking Jones, slow walking Jones, slow talking Jones, along came lonely, lanky Jones, I see you, as the Navi say, haven't seen Avatar yet. Going to. Uh, don't really have a backup plan if I'm not transported to Pandora psychically. If I come back out of that theater and I'm still fucking here, I don't know what I'm going to do. Because, uh, man, it's really, it's really getting tough. And why? Because our brains attack themselves. Because what we're seeing socially wide can best be understood as the brains of a bunch of people who are, by any objective standard, safe and comfortable, and uh, not in any real danger of that changing in the near future. I'm talking about myself, too. But who can imagine a future in which things are worse for them, right? Things are going to be worse. Even if it's hard to imagine them being more materially poorly uh, well-off, they definitely can imagine themselves being older, which is itself the nonstop grinding terror at the base of everything in a society that has no sense of the sacred and has no true religious belief beyond the self, which is what we have, universalized. Not everybody feels it to the same amount. It is, it, it is hegemonic, though, because it is reinforced through our institutions and our mode of production, uh, because we have been instrumentalized by a algorithm, profit extraction, which had been historically part uh, of a suite of values that made up sort of the mental toolkit of the ruling class, uh, uh, the ones who create the cultural superstructure that we are all enmeshed within through their actions. Uh, the machine does the work always. The machine of class society is not something that people uh, do consciously. It is something that they uh, 
are uh, wedded to through psychological structures that are far beyond uh, uh, conscious thought. So they don't really enter into how people uh, act or narrate their own actions, rather. They determine our actions without us thinking about it. That's always what uh, our modes of production, our, our, social our, our social reproduction does. And that is why it's the base, as Marx calls it. Because it is done by the subconscious. It is done below the level of our uh, felt sense of control of our lives. It's the stuff we do because we feel we have to do it. And anything that you feel like you have to do, you treat differently in your mind to something that you feel like you are choosing to do. All class societies, the stuff that actually makes them go, the human inputs that connect to the technological and machine inputs that make economic action, that's all stuff people at every level of society feel like they have to do. Superstructure, culture, uh, the, the way people interact within institutions that we build on top of our economic uh, structures, those are all people acting out of a conscious will. That's, and that, the action of the conscious will uh, obviously affects our, our actual economic system. Obviously it does. But it cannot generate its own uh, 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 will. It cannot generate its own uh, uh, independent uh, action because it is always being shaped by a relationship to an economic system that we feel enmeshed within and inextricable from. Now, of course, not always, and everybody, not everybody everywhere within an economic structure feels that way. There are people, there's alienation away from uh, our, our, our duties everywhere, but it's arranged asymmetrically. The places where it is the most acute is in, I'm not going to do the stuff that I have to do. Fuck you. That goes, that pools at the bottom where the benefits of adhering to what we have to do are the least to be felt. But that those people are geographically, temporally, spatially the farthest away from the actual machinery that is running us. So when we act politically, culturally, we think we're acting uh, as independent beings trying to change an economic system. But what we're actually acting as uh, are people who are, to one degree or another, enslaved to an economic system and trying to better the condition of their slavery, one way or the other. Now, that action at the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum tends to be towards militant, uh, economic-based challenges to the political order because they're getting a shit deal out of it and they know it. At the top, closer to the fucking buttons and, and gigaws and, and the whistles of cultural production and, and institutional reproduction, there is no, there's no desire to really change things, to really challenge things. 
But we have all these institutions that we can basically take our sense of uh, anxiety in relation to a system that's leading us towards uh, 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 death. Now, former systems had to their benefit for the ruling class the fact that there was a sacred. There was a line. Because, as I said, profit was part of a suite of mental faculties of a ruling class. Now it is the only one. And it is not a human one. It is the thing you tell the machine to do. Well, guess what? Congratulations. The machine is now telling you what to do completely. Because it was that suite of things within a ruling class mindset that made them act to change without knowing what they were doing to change the system and bat at it and undermine it. As, 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 as time passes, contradictions within any class system accumulate, people start freaking out at every level. That freaking out takes different uh, uh, forms based on your class position. And they have the effect of battering at the institutions, not reforming them from within, which is what everybody thinks they're doing, but destroying it. That is what they're actually doing. We are all doing that every day because we're divided against ourselves because what we need to do is posited as antithetical to our identities. And our identities are formed around denying that which we need to do. Well, that is schizophrenia. And it's always present in a class society. It gets worse when crisis accumulates. And now we're in a situation where because the ruling suite of interests has been reduced to one, even the highest levels of power and influence within this global system, this chain of uh, uh, this supply chain fueled by technologies of compulsion, internal and external, guess what? It cannot be challenged from anywhere within the superstructure in a way that previous generations could, in a way that people could when there was a counter hegemony in the form of a working class left wing project. You're talking about everything from, yes, the Soviet Union, but not just that, every fucking uh, 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 communist party, and also just regular old uh, left liberal politics. Like in America, yes, you know, the, the Keynesian uh, consensus killed and, and the Fordist compromise killed the American left in the long term. But it was around for a while and it built institutions and they were peopled by individuals whose matrix of what I need to do and what I am choosing to do are more aligned. That's the strength of working class uh, politics is that because it aligns people's actions of the will with their, their deep reptile sense of self-preservation, which is what keeps the rest of us lashed to the mast of capitalism, my God, they're motivated to act absent the incentive structure of capitalism. We live in a world built by those institutions, so we think they still are alive, but they're not. They have been filled top to bottom with people who have had everything but profit and individuality sifted out of them. I'm talking about myself, too. We are all fully individual, spiritually, because we have severed that connection. And the thing is that uh, subconscious stuff, that's where God lives. God's there, but he's here. 
And we have to have an open channel between our body's sensation of existence and its decisions to act based on uh, that combination of like recognition and repulsion of the other and, and, and like that, that sonar of like building a fictional but necessary sense of identity to navigate a world. Like part of that's half self-preservation, but it's half recognition of continuity. It's ha it's ha it's half recognizing that yeah, you're part of something. And you feel it whenever your need and want are aligned. It is a fucking tuning fork that cuts through your entire body. We all know it. There's a bunch of words for it. Love is the cheesiest one. The most denuded of meaning because we've lived in a loveless world our entire lives. We have, now that doesn't mean that we don't love. We do, but our love is individualized. Our love is dampened because it cannot resonate. Our ability to resonate love has been destroyed. And so we live in these institutions and we think that they can do a thing. They can't do that thing. Because when push comes to shove, everyone will save their own asses. Because, this is getting back to the original point. If we're going to die, and we're going to die alone, which is what culture tells us, which is what our society tells every one of us, we can intellectualize our way around it. We can think our way around it individually and we can find groups to try to get together but it's basically like a you know, self-help or support or therapy it is an amelioration of a chronic reinforced social condition that is going to capture us to one degree or another our soul sickness is our recognition of that but how we deal with it it's a crapshoot some of us get lucky we find names for it some of us though never do and that means that we're left with this ache and what? how do we fill it? If that's the case, if you all get to die alone, you can believe in, you know, God, but God is just a substitute for you. And and uh, that eternal, sep uh, eternal separation is inherent because you cannot imagine uh, heaven as, as uh, the original religious traditions did, which is a reunion with God, because that is an annihilation of the self. Heidegger was right about that. Heidegger was right about a lot. I gotta say, yes, problematic opinions, but uh, but he had he had some good he had some good stuff in there. Uh, so that's why Christians Christians believe of heaven as uh, basically a giant gated community. But the thing is, they don't really believe in that. They don't really believe in it. How do we know that? Because their lives are entirely dependent on creating a global com gated community in the here and now. They're insisting, no, every day of my life must be spent in suburban splendor. Every moment of my life must be comfortable. Why if you're going to heaven? You have to live it here to believe in it. You have to live every moment of your life in heaven to believe in it because as soon as you move a second forward in time, it collapses into nothingness. It collapses into absurdity. It collapses into fantasy. So you have to live in a moment. That's why any any annoyance is misery, and has to and any uh, interloper must be annihilated. And of course, there's a narrative that these people tell themselves where they're being forced to be this way because of these outside forces. But 
they are picking an enemy to stand in for their own horror and panic at the thought of dying that they have never been able to reconcile. That's true of the libs too? Obviously, it's true of everyone. If this is true, we're going to die, that's it. Well, then we have to spend as much time as we have personally enriched in one way or the other. Now, what that means varies by your demographic. That varies by your value system. That varies by where you have grown up and where you're brought up and by whom, what their opinions were to so certain enlightenment principles. Uh, are they an Armenian? Are they a fucking uh, Gomerist, basically, uh, uh, to get Dutch with it? That's the psychic split of the bourgeois. It has been for the beginning of class rule. Now turned into, instead of what had been before capitalism, a interplay in a relationship between a ruling class that is wedded to a social structure. Because they had a god of the world, they could break that thing open. They could actually crack it. Now, again, they couldn't build a new thing, but they could act to break it up in a way that felt to them meaningful and therefore had a meaningful effect. That's how they end up absentmindedly creating the new social structure that emerges from the collapse of the old one, that they accelerate with their actions. Now, though, we're at the end of this. Technology has totally taken control. Everyone, people thought they're pedaling the boat. Everything, everybody, you know, you're on one of those, uh, the drinking, the, the, the group drinking pontoon things where you're all supposed to uh, pedal and drink and go around town, very obnoxious. Well, you know, you'll be doing that and like maybe you realize, oh, like my, my, uh, my, my wheels aren't engaged, but you assume somebody else's are. Nope, the thing has got a battery. None of those fucking things are engaged to a flywheel. You're just spinning your wheels. And spinning your wheels is going to drive you crazy no matter what. But in the conditions that exist now where everyone is able to intuit with their senses in some respect or another a deeper catastrophe, one that cannot be spoken of or acted upon for the reasons I enumerated by our institutions by our, 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 ourselves. We can't work on them collectively because we cannot speak to them. We can only speak around the whole of them, the absence at the heart. That's the only fucking thing we can do is talk around a giant hole, death, basically, that cannot be talked around. Now, of course, that's because we have been psychically broken and disconnected from our deeper well, our, 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 our deeper interests, our body's interests, which are not individual, which is not about self-preservation of the self at all costs, because it is at that level that we understand, yes, our separation from one another, but also our connection. Whereas in our minds at this point, we are only reinforcing our separateness. So our bodies, our our brain, our body, our brain, our upper brains are moving our bodies in the direction of panicked annihilation, in the pursuit of pleasure. In the here and now, because if it goes down, what else is there to orient yourself around? Now you can again value it how you want, and uh, and act towards it in a way you want. Like liberals and leftists do this, thinking that. Yes, but what I want for the, the greater good is some fantasy of political power where I make everything better. 
That's not going to happen either. Now this doesn't, the thing is, so we, we can't, we can't recognize that truth. Our bodies feel it. We feel ourselves aging. We feel ourselves becoming more vulnerable every day. We also feel the world around us turning. And the reason we feel it so, and the reason that the feeling of it is so overwhelming is that for so many of us, it's the only thing we feel because our ability to love our ability to connect to other people has been so brutally severed. So what do we do with that feeling? We take it out into the marketplace. We try to find an answer. And the only answer we're going to get are those black holes that are of, con of discourse and artistic expression that collect around money. It's money. That's it. If we're talking about it, it cannot change things. No matter how important it feels uh, viscerally, and a lot, and no matter how an issue relates to real human beings on uh, uh, who really matter, if it could touch the real substance of our crisis, it would not be discussable. It would not be. It could not. It could be discussable. It, we do discuss it, but it could not become a axis of action. Action, which has to happen, because we spend so much time in a discourse bubble, we have convinced ourselves that we can talk our way into these institutions moving. Like we can, enough hot air will blow these things in one way or another. But no, that's just energy. It's just energy that powers. Fully automized systems of control that have obviously have never before understood levels of technology technology behind them, but also have reached into our hearts. Like the way there's a fucking uh, Kroger bag at the bottom of the Marianas Trench, there is a, a little plastic uh, dagger in all of our hearts. Now that does not mean humanity is dead, though, because this machine that reproduces this is also reproducing its own decline. It's just not being helped along by us the way previous generations of humans have helped along the end of their political institutions. But those were closed systems, or I'm sorry, but those were segments of a larger open system. Like every empire, every uh, regime of power that has ever risen and fallen has risen and fallen in isolation. This is the first globalized uh, uh, human network or economic network. And that means that it is bringing about its own destruction much faster than those previous bases did. Meaning that even though we're frantically spinning wheels at the top and really not uh, 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 contributing the way that we imagine we are to its uh, uh, constructive decline, its decline is still real. 
And that means that its ability to assert power at the heart goes away. It is reduced, not everywhere all at once, not even in one person all at once, but in different degrees among different people who then, in their new condition, in their changing condition, I should say, move towards one another with like, like, uh, light towards a new black hole, a new center of gravity. And I really do believe that. Because, and this is why, I have always been uh, a, uh, a hypochondriac and I've always been uh, a, a terminally neurotic, isolated person who, who really did not, who, who had now no feel for anything outside of himself for the vast majority of my life. Like that is a hundred percent, that was me. And as a result, I was never ever, I was, I was miserable in a way that was manageable because there was some imagined other state that I thought if I could attain temporarily or permanently, it would alleviate it. And it's that belief that keeps us wired into this thing at the level we are. And that has changed for me for no virtue of myself, purely through luck. Like just because I got hit by the right uh, 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 gamma ray blast and got knocked onto the right trajectory in the, by the solar wind. And now I'm able to realize, oh, there's like there's an entire other dimension of life and feeling and the self that I never knew. But all that other stuff, the selfishness and the the uh, the hypochondria and the fear of individual death, that's still there and it didn't go away. It's it's my structure, it's my carapace. How could it go anywhere? And not Matt Crispin without that, because we are our traumas. To be, I mean, it's annoying the way that trauma is talked about in media now in the least useful way, in the, in the most uh, uh, de uh, demeaning and, and, and virtue signaling and uh, superficial way, because it is deeply important concept. Because we are built around the dents that we take, like those are our shape, are the dents that we take in our lives. The thing that comes from outside that we don't know why or when, and then we have to make sense of it. But the thing is, we don't know. We're coming at it after it happened. We're piecing things together. We can get close, but we can't get there to knowing what the hell happened. The stories we tell ourselves are the stories of our lives, but they are stories. Some of them have basis in reality, but we fill in a bunch with fear because that's all we have, absent a sense that we are not going to die, that death isn't real, that the fear is irrational. But that is the irrationality that our psyches are premised on. That guy's still there. And he hears all this stuff that I'm saying. And his response in the aftermath of me saying it and feeling like it makes sense is, you know, when it's quiet and it's just me. The voice is, well, what if this is you uh, basically euthanizing yourself? Like you at a deeper level then conscious know that, oh, the thing you've always been afraid of, 
the sudden death, that betrayal by the body, it's ha- going to happen very soon. You're going to have a brain aneurysm, uh, some sort of uh, cancer that's been growing, and it's going to just rip you to shreds very quickly. You're going to get fucking owned. You're going to die. Uh, and this is you. This entire coming awake, this entire uh, 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 midlife crisis-fueled uh, revelation, this is literally you uh, using drugs to say basically cheat your senses into apprehending a truth that your conscious mind is too terrified to reach at and is pulling you towards uh, you being euthanized. That is like the worst thing, that that's the thing that makes all my bodily senses turn into the fear, like the sensation of actual physical threat. The thing is, in the worm terms on that, if that's true, it doesn't contradict anything else I said. And in fact, it reinforces it. Because if this, if God and the spirit exist, it, it exists in the temporal space between mere hu- physicality and uh, conscious perception of the world. That it's in a space, a I hate to be cheesy about it, but a quantum space. Where time is reversed, basically. And that's why I realized, like, oh, my fear of dying has always been a death wish. And this is still a death wish because what I'm really afraid of is having to live. Now, that used to be having to live with, uh, you know, um, personal discomfort. But now it is because I feel like I have fulfilled much more of my life. Like I feel like I have a sense of community and, and, and reinforcing acts of love that kind of keep me grounded uh, in a way I, I had not previously because I couldn't, I couldn't perceive at that frequency. Uh, I don't have that, you know, but I do have a sense that things are bad and are getting bad, getting to get worse globally. And that that, and that I will not be exempt from that in any way that I am as implicated and enmeshed in that decline as anyone else. And the question is, what do I do about it? That's the question we all have to face. And what political identity allows us to do is avoid that question, not address it but avoid it. Oh, uh, things are getting worse and worse for me and for everyone in a way that I can't disentangle no matter how much I try to rationalize it. I'm going to make things better by saying opinions and then voting for people and doing political activism in response to issues and uh, um, concepts and, and events, more than anything, that are dictated by money. Money. Money is the thing. doesn't matter if it went to college or not. It doesn't matter if it's red-pilled or uh, has the woke mind virus. That is all a mask. That is all 
a interface for you to engage with because you are making a consumer choice and you are being offered, as with everything else in the world, a suite of options that are meant to appeal to your demographic tranche because this is demography. It is not politics. People with X demographic traits tend to have Y aesthetic uh, 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 alliances that they mistake for political ones because they have no political subjectivity. You're going to go out there and you're going to fight and you're going to make the world a better place. No, you're not. You're going to have a good time. You're going to have a nice time with your friends on the computer. And then if that's not good enough because you're really miserable, you're going to go and do insane shit. This is not a White Claw. This is a good old-fashioned Trader Joe's sparkling fucking water. Thank you very much. Raspberry Lime. Because we all feel like we're going on the drain, and we all feel like our lives are going to be worse. Like, I, I want to die now because I would rather die uh, relatively happy. I feel like I could do that. I could let go feeling like I, uh, you know, I have regrets. I have significant, powerful regrets that are going to be with me my entire life. But I feel like I can answer for them. To myself, you know, as I as I personally consciously go down this the towards the black hole of nothing, where of course everything stretches. And time ceases to have a value and all of our fear of, of extinction and of our fear of, of of the, the Tony Soprano death are shown to be the, the uh, medieval idiocy of people who can't see all of the dimensions around them that are fucking affecting them. That we're not part of some circle of samsara, we're part of a fucking orb, a basketball. And that all of the flatness is imposed by class society. There's no religious tradition that exists now that was not born when class society became a permanent feature on the, on the Earth's landscape, which is the early Iron Age, the Axial Age, Confucius, Buddha. So I feel like I could reckon, but... I would like to not reckon with a bunch of, uh, you know, physical pain as I am, you know, uh, economically imperiled. Uh, or if I'm not, if I'm lucky enough to not be economically imperiled, uh, if I have to confront the state at some point to res to avoid being, uh, having my humanity eroded out of me to the point that I have made it, but I am trapped in the same gilded hell as guys like Elon Musk. Because I don't know if I'm capable of it. That's the question. I can talk a big game, but when it comes, push comes to shove, if I'm going to really be willing and able to sacrifice myself. Because right now, loving the world is very easy for me. It's going to get harder. 
even if I don't suffer some sort of uh, some sort of uh, economic catastrophe or I'm victim to one. Uh, I'm going to see around me uh, a, a intensity of immiseration that is going to make continued life uh, in alliance and in reproduction of this uh, system intolerable. And again, that's neuroses too. How fast that's coming? That's neuroses. Because thinking about that, the, the, the other side of it, the only part of my brain that can really game out the catastrophe of things is the neurotic, selfish side. Because I'm not there yet. The heart lives in the present. It's nowhere else. Our memories are devoid of it, and our, our projections of the future cannot, uh, cannot conjure it. So our worst-case scenarios are always driven by our neurotic fear of death. That doesn't mean they're not based on real objective things that really exist, but we reproduce them and, and, and heighten their frequency because they are not counterpoised to a um, grounded sense of, I hate to say it, love, but it's true. Because the goal, the dream of capitalism is everyone is barren. Everyone is a king. Uh, it is the Romans, uh, Roman conception of identity turned into God, which is why Christianity getting absorbed in the Roman, uh, uh, absorbed by the Roman Empire was the end of Christianity. Because it, because it, it, every society has an idea of God, right? And the Roman idea of God, even though you know they were pagans or whatever, their idea of what a God was was as as it is with every everywhere. It kind of has to be a uh, manifestation of our most valued traits. And what were the most valued traits of Rome? Mastery. Individual mastery of others. Now that's a problem. Now that's why you have the crisis uh, uh, of the Enlightenment, like people, the fucking dark Enlightenment, pseudo uh, intellectual morons who want to blame the Enlightenment for everything. When what what happens is is that you get a certain amount number of people that that uh, uh, the Malthusian trap is solved is the lock is picked by technology. And you have to have a guiding ethos. Every man a king over slaves can work in the demographic context of uh, second century or you know second century uh, Rome, but it is not viable once you're in the by the nineteenth century. So then, how do you synthesize that? You can't in Europe. That's why it's a cycle of annihilation until World War I. You can in America. Now, it's a fantasy and a chimera, and it dies almost immediately. 
you the great the second great awakening the big uh, 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 mass psychotic break that happens in the, in the early 20, 19th century uh, specifically in upstate New York is an evidence of this like the, the, before the the um, the real expropriation of the continent had begun those early uh, settlement areas get all taken all spoken for basically uh, by um, by the 1820s and the people who came in late, the, pe the people who showed up from largely New England, because, oh, sure, it turns out that land where the yeoman dream was born is actually really shitty for farming and uh, filled with limestone and not very fecund at all. So you use this ex mass exodus from New England due west, starting with upstate New York. Uh, Joseph Smith's family is a perfect example of this. They're from Vermont. Uh, John John Brown's family is from uh, from Connecticut, and you know there are people who were able to get some land there. Uh, there was there were a number of there was uh, land that was given away to World War uh, to Revolutionary War veterans, and so there was a sort of a little mini uh, land rush there. But what always ended up happening when those situations when when soldiers are given land is that a lot of those soldiers end up selling their right to the land to a speculator or a, an existing landowner because uh, it's a lot of upfront labor for a relatively, for a risky proposition at that point. You know, this is before farm subsidies. One bad fucking harvest and you're done for. That's all of that fucking investment is gone. Uh, some money in the hand might be better. Uh, but a number of them tried to, uh, you know, make it go and yeah, we're annihilated. And it's that, socially declining group who can't grasp the yeoman dream where you can reconcile godliness and submission to uh, an authority in a way that the Puritans sure as hell couldn't. That's why they had to chop off the king's head. It's going away, what, but there's nowhere else to go because the frontier is not open. It's not viable yet. Like you've already thrown your dice. You're not going to be able to pick up and go to uh, what? Try to settle uh, the Western Reserve? Not yet anyway. You need more uh, time for that to develop for because you can't move there until the infrastructure has been built for you. Like that's the fantasy of American uh, uh, westward migration is that it's a bunch of fucking independent wagon trains going west. No, it is the army going first, setting up bases, trading posts, and uh, fortifications, and then building roads that happens first. Then people start moving. That's always the way it always is. And of course, that's we reverse it for our fantasy, for our uh, a narrative we tell ourselves as a nation, because we sure as hell can't forefront the, the uh, role of social uh, institutions in providing this possibility for the individual to triumph because it undermines our, uh, our sense of self, our identity. That self-sufficiency is key to the settler colonial mindset, the fantasy. Like the fucking Boers have it in, uh, in South Africa, too. And they they only oh, they get to do even better because they actually were like uh, the like they they are the most aggrieved of all uh, petty bourgeois in the world because they did actually have the uh, British army come after them. I mean, we fought a relatively uh, civilized war with the Brits. They fucking put them in concentration camps. They invented concentration camps to put those crackers in. So what do you do? You got to open a door somewhere, and that is why God comes back into the world. 
But it's only Joseph Smith among those early innovators who realizes in the long term, God's not going to be enough. God has to be wedded to a new social reality that can be reproduced separate from the institutions that are alienating everyone around us. That's why he tries to create this utopian community. Uh, Kirkland, Ohio, and then Nauvoo are intended to be uh, communist utopias of the way that Gerard Winstanley created when he went to uh, St. George's Hill uh, after the suppression of the levelers. And they have been relatively successful, which is why Mormon identity persists as something other than a demographic. Because it's tied to a different understanding of the self that's tied to a different relationship to capitalism. And that's what like the Hasids are trying to build to, to protect. That's what the Amish are trying to protect, all the different degrees of success, all the different degrees of internal repression necessary to keep that. And that is what the uh, the populist right, the intellectuals of the populist right, want to universalize. They want to take that uh, that communal sense of self that alloys capitalism and universalize it. But, oops, can't do it. Why? No frontier. Only alloyed with a frontier. It, it destroyed itself in Europe over and over again. Until America synthesized it and, and, and imposed a new order where it says, hey, Brit, hey, hey, Europeans, we're going to subsidize you people to pretend you're doing capitalism. You guys can all like trade for trade with each other and have your little labor unions. It'll be adorable. We're going to put the ex-Nazis in charge so you don't get too crazy with this shit and forget who you, who you work for. But you're going to get to have your little fake democracies and your little fake capitalist systems. Oh, you guys, uh, you love your farming, don't you? Your yeoman peasants out there. Adorable. Here you go. Here's all the subsidies on earth. In America, we fucking destroyed our small farmers. The, the, the ones who actually, uh, for generations, achieved the dream of Europe, they got the ones who got butt-fucked and turned into minions of Monsanto. Because there were other frontiers for us. But Europe, that little, that little hothouse... The little fake continent, that little fucking snow globe. They get to keep the, like the, the the farmers the the farmers of Western Europe are 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 restive and 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 they're always fighting for their uh, for their liberty and it's like yeah they have been effective political uh, uh, co subjects, but only in a, a context where they are being uh, they have been anyway coddled and allowed to and indulged by us, which is changing, and that's why Europe is going to go back to fighting. Already has and it's going to get worse. Because the populist fantasy is, is of, of universalizing it cannot happen now anywhere, which means you fight. Got to fight. Got to fight. The internal enemy, yes, but never just the internal enemy because there have to be spoils to distribute to the winners. And, and absent that, you have no uh, synthesis of your social dynamic, which these right populists think that they're going to fucking create. And the proof of this is that the teleology of all right populism is war with China. Now, of course, the, the grim joke is the teleology of left liberalism, international capitalism as it exists, also war with China. 
because we're we're going down the drain, the same drain where we perceive ourselves at opposite sides of the drain, right? The cultural left, there is no left that has to be emphasized. The left does not exist. I don't think I say that enough, honestly, because I see too many fucking people talking about the left like it's a thing. The left is not a thing. It is an attitude. It is a it is a identity segment. Perceives the right as driving us towards oblivion. The right perceives the left as doing so. Meanwhile, they're just going through motions and spinning wheels in a machine that is being driven by the one actual operative order generating any uh, any economic action anywhere on the globe. Profit extraction. Profit extraction is the only thing turning the gears. Nobody's ideological priors matter at all. That is all post hoc uh, self uh, uh, justification. And see, this is where I get to the neurotic part of me because I'm like, well, that's true of me too, right? I am also rationalizing my inaction by sitting here and talking. So that means that I am dying, and when it happens, I will realize all the things I should have done, all my failures I made. But that is tied to what? Narcissism. Again, because it doesn't fucking matter. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. And that's, that's the freedom. That is the, that's the thing that religion used to point to. Realizing you're nothing is the actual transcendence that religion used to offer. And now, in the West anyway, does not. I personally have to do this to stand against that. Why? You're so important. You're so special. Oh, look at you. Adorable. I have to die affirming my individuality. Guess what? When it's time to actually die... All that is going to be brutally uh, uh, stripped away. And of course, you know that deep down. That's why the cult of action. That's why fascism, which is dead as a active political agent, but is alive now fully as a concept, conceptual skin for one half of the di- the gyroscope, the di- the the. One, one set of hands of the two on the wheel of, of culture and politics that are now, it's their action that drives it, not the specifics of their intent. Ugh. It ain't all waiting on you. That's vanity. So all the pills are the same pill. Your black, your doom pill, your black pill, your red pill. All those pills are the same thing. That is a self-flattering validation of the individual. Oh, I'm telling it like it is. Everything's doomed. No, you're telling it like your uh, fucking, your ego requires you to, uh, to hear. And yes, grill pill too. The whole grill pill was came out of me realizing, oh, I can't affect change. Therefore, this load-bearing sense of myself as a worthy being on Earth has been knocked out. What do I replace it with? And there was nothing there. 
Because the work is individual, but it can only be reproduced socially. That is the paradox at the heart of, of, of everything. And what bridges the gap? Faith. There's a, common, there's a common sentiment on both sides of the cultural divide that says that they would kill us if they could. And the thing is, asymmetrically, that is true of a few people. And that's because, and it is, yes, asymmetrically on the right, but that is because there are, for someone who is demographically uh, attuned to right psychological structures, there's less place to vent it. What can you do to vent your angst, your horror? At, oh, I'm just one person who will never be able to actualize in any meaningful way and then die, which is what coming into uh, uh, consciousness in this time and this place does to you. How are you supposed to deal with that? If you are culturally to the left, there's a lot of options. There's a lot of things you can do to liberate yourself, to feel a sense of liberation. There are none on the right. Now, that's boo-hoo, obviously. Uh, but, like, the ones that are there are things like joining the military. But even the military, what do they do? They go and they lose wars. They go, you get to be, go to, go to fight in other countries and reaffirm what a fucking time-serving loser you are. The only battlefield where you can fight and feel like your sacrifice means anything is here. I can die meaningfully here, but only in confrontation with a uh, cultural superstructure that I am alienated from. And so, yeah, on the right, it's a lot more violent. But that's because of a liberal cultural hegemony. The other place, of course, is, the, is, the, is you can enter the police. You can go be cop. So that's why you see the police the way they are. So yeah, more of them would, if they got you in a room, kill you. But even then, actual numbers? Acting, again, individually, because there is no capability of collective action. Not a way that's going to be an existential threat to any social class, not not the, the genocidal fear people have. Most of those people, yeah, they would like to see you die. They would love to see you die. They would laugh their asses off if they were watching it on television, if somebody else was doing it for them. And yeah, a lot of liberals, especially uh, uh, the, the wealthier ones, the ones who are more screamingly miserable in their heart, and more guilty about it, they do hate right-wingers, and they would love to see them die, again, on television.
We're all going to get that treatment one way or another from this machine. We're going to fall out of favor with the gods and be reduced. Not all at once, but through demographic, economic tranches. Lower, faster, higher from the top as people sort of individually spin out through bad luck and bad wiring, but at the bottom universally. Uh, prison camps, if you if you lose your, like, mass incarceration of, of people for the crime of poverty is a going to happen in the United States. But it's, and that is going to happen regardless of who's in power. Just as the children in cages at the border happen, regardless of who is in power. Depending on who's in charge it went in one side or the other, there will be spectacular acts of state violence to affirm one or another side. And they will have real outcomes, and that will mean real misery for real people. But it is largely not even going to be a question of the state making choices, so much as the media making choices on which part of this misery to highlight. The misery is going to be increasing. Our vote and our cultural uh, uh, war, our culture comp, is going to be deciding which channel to turn on, which lens to view the horror through. Now, that is why I feel my, if I have any justification for persisting in the life that I am living now, given the conditions around me, it is to try to cut through that. To break up that, that, uh, that psychic uh, tractor beam between these two poles of what is effectively homeowning bourgeois. There's people trailing them. We're all in the comp. Most of us are in the common end of that. But it is homeowning bourgeois of one sort or another in this country. People who see threats everywhere, but by definition threats far away from their person because this is all a game to them. It is a fucking game to them. And of course, it's not a game to the people who get caught up in the violence and, 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 and in the, uh, the, the, the spectacle of politics. Like that's a real, those are real actions with real consequences. But they're not felt by the people who dish them out, so they won't change anything. And the thing is, all I'm doing is the same turn to the self that every that the left that actually existed did uh, after the defeats of the of the of the late '60s. Only even more pathetic because it was such a relatively uh, meaningless outburst. But of course, that's because the material conditions have changed. This is a last. The left, as we understand it, is the end of something. It is not the beginning of anything. Uh, the, the, the cultural F, the cultural formation we're dealing with now is something that will be extinguished. It will be replaced by a more expansive and spiritual 
conception of the left that will be in many ways unrecognizable to people who now call themselves that, and therefore a horror to be avoided because, no, my, my idea of the left is the good one. Of course it is, dear. Of course it is. What a coincidence. It's the one that you personally believe in. Oh, really? The, your personal beliefs are the objectively good ones? I can't believe it. What? What are the odds? It's just like how, uh, just coincidentally, uh, in, uh, Imperial uh, Prussia was uh, the ideal social formation that uh, Heigl find himself live on, living under. It was amazing. As soon as like this new uh, cultural ferment of the left emerged in 2017, the first thing on most people's agendas was, okay, uh, this counts as left and this isn't. Y if you believe this, you're in it. If you, if you aren't, you're out of it. And of course, everyone who had that uh, in mind, they had a very reasonable under argument for why their uh, thing they cared about the most is the thing that mattered the most. But how could you ever know? Because where did you get this shit? Did it come from struggle? Did it come from uh, participation in the class project? For the most part, for the loudest part, no. For the part that collated around money, no. In a time when the left was 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 trying to be resuscitated from nothing, your instinct of uh, if your instinct is we've got to define this as narrowly as possible. That means that you have totally misunderstood the terrain that you're dealing with. Why? Because you're in a you're in a little play bubble, and, and every every media uh, thing that emerges to meet your consumer needs is going to reinforce what you want to hear. Because that's what it's for. That's what this is all for. What do you want? We will tell you it. Everybody who tries to go online to find the truth is just going to look in themselves in the mirror. What that mirror is going to be, but what they're looking for is is individual. But what is going to be reinforced is every individual's selfishness. It's going to be stripped of everything else that brought them into engagement, and it's going to become the only thing that reproduces. But of course, you know, it doesn't really matter because it was this last bubbling. Like, oh, this mode of production is ending. This mode of relationship is ending. We should do something about that. What do we have to deal with it? These notions, these categories of left and right, these political parties, these institutions, these actions, this suite of responses that we've inherited from previous generations who weigh, of course, like a nightmare on our brains. And we get up in those costumes, not realizing that those categories are empty. Like in previous iterations, when Marx talks about the way that revolutionaries will take up the mantle, the, the costuming of, of the previous generation of revolutionaries, he's describing, because he's describing capitalism at its beginning, its real manifestation as a, as a continent-wide and worldwide uh, operating, cultural operating system. And therefore, the working class is a self-conscious uh, element of it that will, be, that will reach independent power, and it did, he was correct about that, just it's the extent of that individual power was, uh, independent power was limited, proscribed and then annihilated.
Like Marx thought he would win the we would win the war. I think if you, if you want to get where he got wrong, I think he got everything right except that he thought well, he would win the war, and of course he did. Everyone thinks they're going to win the war because they cannot imagine humanity outside of their cone of uh, of identity formation, like what the values that they have uh, been a, a culture to. Because what other ones are they going to have? But but when Marx sees the saw like the Paris Communards using the, the the revolution as a model, the French Revolution. That had been carried out by, you know, the lawyers and the bourgeois. This was being carried out by the workers of Paris. So those old forms are getting new content. At the end of that process, those old forms are being taken up by, uh, it's being filled with nothing. It's being filled with our our narcissistic uh, uh, desires, which are the desires of the market. The desire the market has imprinted upon us. No matter what we think we're doing politically, that's how we can act politically through those institutions. And class is an old form. Because someone says, what if class is an old form? It is. I mean, we can talk about class existing as an objective thing right now, but we cannot talk about class, and certainly in America, as a, uh, as a live function of human identity. People might think of themselves as a working class person or middle class person or whatever, but that is... It does not have the uh, grounding to institutional reproduction that it used to, which means it's nothing more than another element of the demographic pie that we all make up. And what does the new media economy, the new reality we, we move through, do? It sees our demographic groups, and then at a speed beyond our ability to perceive it's happening, Offer up to us what it know, what it expects us to be attracted to, and then our eyes will move towards it without us even knowing that we're why we're, they are doing that. And then, as soon as we have done that, everything else we encounter will be something that we think we think we're getting a, we're we're searching through uh, a some sort of reality, but we're having reality built for us. It's a simulation. I hate to use it, but it is. And I think a lot of people noticed after 2020, oh, a lot of the things that make up the, the legacy of the left in this country uh, are just ornaments of uh, individualism. Oh, my God. They're, they're, pursuing them actually puts you in conflict with solidarity. Uh, and that is correct. But then many of them made the, uh, the self-deceptive move to then uh, say, okay, those are the only ornaments of identity that have that effect. Other ornaments of identity uh, that I associate with some more authentic previous demographic of worker, those are untainted. Those are Simon Pure. Those can be harnessed to confront capitalism. Nope. Sorry. Same thing. And those people who made that decision, they thought they were operating off the best evidence of their senses and rationality. But what were they doing? They were being told what they wanted to hear. And what they wanted to hear was, what can I do to avoid this question that I cannot answer without putting my sense of self-indulgence at risk? And that is the question that all of this exists to prevent you from genuinely confronting.
including this show, as I've said a million times. So how can I keep doing it? Because I know you're going to do it no matter what. Because I know because the lack cannot be sensed, it cannot be pointed out anyway. It has be to be experienced. There has to be a resonant experience in your life that makes that be felt at a, at a lower register. In the meantime, I might as well try to tell the truth. What feels like the truth? Again, totally self, uh, self-exculpatory because, yes, I would rather, for my own personal pleasure, I would rather sit here and talk on the computer and make a podcast and hang out with my loved ones and do, like, fulfilling and rewarding uh, 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 work than come into existential conflict with the state, which is the only alternative. So again, always coming back. But what class society's religious institutions tell us is that that circle is all there is. That circle is one dimension of a of a multidimensional process. The flattening is is done by the mechanisms of class society that rip us away from our felt experience. It's like, everyone's lying except me. Like, okay, wow. Great sales pitch. What a shock. What a surprise. I'm the one who's saying what's true. But how do I resolve that? Same way I resolve anything. Faith. And in this case, my faith is rewarded by the fact that uh, when I say it, it feels good. Like, in a deep sense. In a way that nothing else does. Like, this is one of the key parts of this. Is that pursuing that selfish drive for pleasure, everyone knows this is never fulfilling. In the moment, you are always anxious about losing something or getting around something, finding some experience that was not fulfilled. We all know that, and it sits with us, and it still does. Like Plenty of times during the day, I feel that. I feel like, what should I be doing? I shouldn't be doing this. And then if I try to do something that is just going to make me feel good in the moment, it doesn't really go away. When I do this, it does go away. Just sitting here and saying this stuff, every outcome of what happens after I finish, the moment I'm in now is okay with me. Because the words I'm saying they, like I said, they resonate. Okay, I hope some of that made sense. As always, talking in circles. A lot of this is, yeah, me doing therapy and talking through my own fucking, oh God, trauma. With me, therapy, I'm just like, I'm sorry, you know, part of me is always going to be, I'm paying you, you know? 
So once again, as a child of the market, I let the market decide for me. If I say this stuff and people respond, yeah, that made sense, then the market has spoken. Anybody has any questions, I'll stick around for a little bit here. Yeah, the Chinese lockdown ending is, uh, it shows that capacity is limited everywhere. Uh, and that, you know, hoping that any current institution of any kind, anywhere within the capitalist world system, has not been fundamentally hollowed out is, who knows to what degree that's wishful thinking, but there certainly is some everywhere. Because again, how do we know? What are we projecting versus what we can have any confidence really stating? I would say the percentage uh, is way more towards wish casting. Either way, like people who fantasize about everything ending tomorrow, that is also its own wish fulfillment, right? Like it all is. It is all attempt to, to, to make the future okay to live in, even as we fear it won't be. It not being there, that's that cuts through the Gordian knot. That's why the uh, the end of uh, Doctor Strangelove is a fucking sexual orgasm, and and it is a good reason to think that we very well might get a nuclear war, and that maybe a nuclear war was inevitable the moment that Oppenheimer fucking split the goddamn atom in the first place. <coughs> because in this individual system, uh, if if we cannot let go if we cannot submit and only about faith in some sort of benevolent greater and benevolence greater than us can allow us to do that. We cannot believe at that at the highest levels of power and that we have selected now by for generations for people who cannot conceive of that. Then we must choose our own annihilation. We must. That's that's the death drive at the, at the heart of capitalism. And fascism's effective death drive is just a capitalist system manifesting terminal crisis. In this case, the, uh, the German economic unit among the, pre, uh, uh, among the uh, competitive state apparatus, the Westphalian state apparatus that had been created uh, in Europe, by the mid-20th century, those, uh, those units were in existential conflict with one another. One, there was going to be ultimate victory and ultimate defeat. And the Germans were either going to change or die. They didn't change, so that means they were going to die. And fascism was their preferred method of going out. And that is why there is so relatively little difference now in different uh, 
strands of American politics, because as I said, war with China is how both of them are oriented, as opposed to World War II, where you had this Atlantic American, uh, Anglo-American capitalism with its frontiers that had like a real cap- capacity to globalize capitalism in a way that was advantageous to it. Germany couldn't do that. Japan couldn't do that. They showed up late to the party. All the stuff that the Anglos and Americans had done to get their position was now outlawed. It's like Airbud comes in and uh, and he scores the winning basket because there's no rules in the book that says uh, a dog can't play basketball. Then next week somebody shows up with a, a German Shepherd and they're like, nope, dogs can't play basketball. We, we just won the cup and changed the rules. Oh, uh, doing uh, mass expropriation of land? Uh, and and just uh, distributing it to your own uh, petty bourgeois? Uh, flag on the play. That's not, you can't do that. Amber said that once. Uh, my wife, Amarallo, that was very succinct, talking about uh, the Axis powers in World War II. So locked out, it's like Japan and Germany. Going to change or are you going to hit the fucking accelerator? And because the change uh, faction was defeated, annihilation was the only uh, end state. Now you can say China is an alternative, but we're still here. And we have something that the, Chinese, or the, the Nazis and the Japanese didn't have. Nuclear weapons. Do you think for a second, if uh, if they developed a nuke at the end of World War II, even after, uh, like, like they were working on it, like, well, the bunkers were falling. You don't think somebody would have pressed that fucking button? You don't think Hitler would have pressed that button? That's why there is a, I mean, because Russia, like, Putin is like that end state of a capitalist uh, facing, like, real immiseration, because the United States has decided that Russia cannot be allowed to be its own country, like to be its own independent power base, to, 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 to resist its own decline. And without an option, why would you not hit the nukes? The, The proof of the superiority of the Soviet system is that they didn't launch the nukes at the end of the, of the eighties, because they had a fundamentally different relationship to nuclear weapons than the United States did. Sure, there were uh, there were uh, there were hawks and everything, but you did not have a defense establishment that was fixated around nukes as an inevitability. You have fucking MacArthur champing at the bit to use nukes in uh, uh, Korea, and and Nixon offering uh, suggesting to Eisenhower that they offer a nuke to the. French to relieve the uh, Dien Bien Phu, for Christ's sake. Uh, it still amazes me we made it through the 60s when we had those nutcases, Johnson and Nixon, back-to-back without a nuke going off. Although apparently Nixon did actually order a nuclear attack on North Korea uh, during Watergate when he was shit-faced. 
and they just ignored him. Whether or not the Russians launch a nuke during this uh, Ukraine war comes down to whether the U.S. gives them a chance to save face and whether there is a faction in the Kremlin who uh, is not as set on Putin as Putin is uh, on an existential conflict because they can imagine themselves getting, them or some group around them getting some sort of a deal, the same way that the Yeltsin criminals got their deal when uh, Russia was carved up. But of course, now, you know, everything's been carved up. What do you do next? Uh, and I think that's why you see the NATO heads talking about dismembering Russia, because I think th what they're hoping happens is that uh, is that there's some sort of coup uh, against Putin, or he dies, and then the uh, leadership of of the state that he's created here, you know, the 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 remaining oligarchs and political operators and military guys will take the same deal that the regional uh, kingpins of the peripheral uh, Soviet Union did in 1991-92, uh, when uh, they got to be the heads of their own little uh, countries. So that is the long-term goal, because they know if Russia sticks around, there's going to be a nuclear war, because... The psychology is overwhelming. When it's one person or one small group of people, they actually can use this thing to bring it all down. But where Whig history and Marxism is wrong is the idea that it the actions they take can be towards a constructive reform. Because even Marx's revolution is a constructive reform in its architecture. Like the state is taken over, replaced from within by a working class. There is not annihilation that then something comes, you know, up from afterwards. And that is what nuclear weapons ensure. And that is really why the last hope of socialism for this stub of uh, human development uh, is, might have been ended at the Trinity test site. Because once you got the Cold War, uh, a final confrontation between the Soviets and, and the, the burgeoning uh, uh, communist world bloc and Western capitalism became impossible. Uh, the Russians, the, the Soviets, would always back down. Mao got that. Mao, you can call him a crazy person, and he certainly was in many respects, but he understood that uh, that if if the the communist side was not willing to use nukes, uh, then their eventual defeat was inevitable. Uh, but of course, that dream, the idea he had that like the the Chinese who emerged after a nuclear war would somehow be you know like uh, a, a, a communist subjects, that is incorrect. I do wonder if they just drop one nuke on Kiev, what would happen? Because it's hard to, because, you know, it's like, that's, that's, that better not be a, like a nuclear, like an instant launch scenario, right? But like, we also could not do nothing. 
So what is between uh, nuclear retaliation and nothing that can be done if they nuke Kiev? Do you say, like, okay, we're going to nuke uh, uh, Archangel or something? And then we say, look, one city, don't do not do another one. We're just doing one, retaliation, and it's not, it's not a big one. It's not one of the main ones. The Moscow can't do Moscow. Yeah, full blockade, but how do you respond to that if you're Russia then? That's why I really don't think there will be one nuke because uh, I don't think there's any gaming it out where it ends there, so why start there? But again, all of our all of any of our thoughts on these subjects are neurotic thoughts. The preservation of ourselves and as I said, the preservation of this stub of human uh life which is only one of infinites in the orb of life not the circle of life the orb of life one one track one vein in the in the cosmic membrane since we can't do anything about that thinking a lot about it becomes a way of thinking not about other things like what can you do in your life today to feel like it meant something The problem we have is, for a lot of us, it's very hard to imagine anything. And that was true of me for many, many years. And it's still tough because it's not like I've overcome the isolation and enemy of American life. I'm still wedged in it. I'm still totally immersed in it. My relationship to it is a little different, thankfully, but I'm in the same boat as everybody else. The main thing that would stop that from happening is that the system does have that profit extraction incentive, and everything is arranged along that axis, which is aligned among humans along an axis of self-interest. And it is really in nobody's interest, uh, you know, except for a few people at the very, very top who have sort of talked themselves uh, into uh, an existential panic which is true of most of our very, very top ruling type people. I could name some names. Like they have convinced themselves that they are uh, in imminent attack. But, you know, th those pinnacles can be amputated from below by people just a little lower, but able to act in sort of collective self-interest. And they kind of snip them off. Uh But yeah, everyone has some sort of self-imposed uh, 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 manifest, the, 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 uh, a projected manifestation of their own angst, their own inability to reconcile them, themselves and their body. And then that gets projected into something else. Uh, that's why everyone in the suburbs thinks they're going to get trafficked or that, or that ISIS is going to kill them or they're going to get murdered if they go into an American city or 
uh, somebody's going to try to uh, groom their child. Uh, this is all a, a, a self-projected uh, uh, fantasy, pleasurable fantasy, because the very fact that it's not going to happen is what makes it fun. They get to feel scared the same way you get scared in a haunted house or in a horror movie. That's what this is. That's what is generated by those issues, not existential conflict with over like the his, the, the the destiny of Western civilization. That went bye bye a long time ago. We're along for the ride now. All that has been squeezed out of the bladder. But we're still here as people trying to manifest, make sense of our lives, even though and make and give life to these dead structures and institutions and signifiers. And so we're doing a little scary puppet show for each other. And then we get to live in a, this, this world where politics is just those self-scaring, bored, anxious suburbanites determining the, the shape of politics for the rest of us. And now, even though our concerns are more real, because we have less economic security, uh, we can't address them on their own terms. We can only address them through the same lens dictated by those scared uh, homeowner boomers. Okay, I think this was a pretty good stream. Uh, felt like we got somewhere. Uh, wrap it up with uh, a word, a, a phrase that came into my head while I was having one of my patented uh, freakouts. I was in a grocery store. I was getting a little sweaty. And I had kind of a little headache, and I was like, "Oh, this is when you have the uh, the brain aneurysm. This is it. It's going to happen right here in the fucking Vons." And uh, and I realized, like, what I'm actually scared of is, because I do, I have gotten to the point where I do think that death is a recognition and, and is a, a, an awareness of things, a coming into awareness of things that were not, that you could not address in your life because they were repressed. Like, it, it returns at death. I really think it does. And I, our fear of death is a lot of it is a fear of not being able to handle that. That's what hell is, basically. Hell is an eternity with our regrets. Uh, and and, and uh, hell is the denial of, of, of reconciliation, which, again, is a fantasy class society creates. Uh, it is a, a failure to recognize the, that you can't separate in a meaningful way uh, yourself from the thing you're seeking to reconcile with, which means you're already reconciled with it. But the fear is specifically of, of, the, of the sudden death deal is like, oh, I could have eaten better, exercised more. Uh, I could have gone to the doctor and they could have got a CAT scan because I've worried about this for a long time. And so even if it's not guilt, a sense of guilt of a thing I've done to another person, there is a separate guilt that I have allowed myself to die because I have access to all this information, right? I have access to this technology of healthcare 
that should allow me to keep that from ever happening without my consent, basically. And I think that that is where, that's the final stage of, of, of Calvinism, is uh, the difference fundamentally at, at end-stage secular Calvinism is, is that uh, uh, the, the saved and the damned are the, the quick and the dead, or the dead and the alive. To be alive is to be saved, really. Which is why the end state of, of capitalism now is eternal life in the computer. And how even there's there's plenty of people on the, the left who broadly have a fantasy of that happening. So the only the, the, the final fatal sin, the only meaningful sin, because it's the only one that cannot be redeemed by future action, is death. Because once you're dead, you can't you can't escape reckoning. Once you're dead, you can't put something behind you or ignore it or forget it. And so that becomes the only real sin since you have in your mind the ability to avoid it. I mean, that's why rich people take such good care of themselves and make taking care of themselves a core part of their identity and part of their morality. This is the key part. Uh... And so death is the only sin. But death is embedded in life and inextricable from life and therefore cannot be a sin. So that load-bearing structure of like secular Calvinism that we're all, to one degree or another, let... Uh, enmeshed in. I know I am anyway. Again, I'm talking about myself and I just hope it resonates. That's how I'm able to feel like it means something. And that I'm not just being crazy. Uh, like the difference between me and somebody on the, on the street corner is that the, the guy in the street corner doesn't have people listening to him going, uh-huh, right. Okay. That makes sense. But it's not a sin to die. So that means that any, oh, 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 is as forgivable as any act. Because everything will be forgiven. I do believe that. I believe damnation is is a, a heaven is not uh heaven is not a scam. Pie in this people say like pie in the sky when you die is, is a scam. No. Uh because all of that is just a way to talk around the ineffable sensation of uh, reconciliation. Uh, hell is a permanent state. That is an ideological artifact of class society. Because if we did all like really know, believe that, then so much pressure would be off. And all the things that make us feel like we need to exploit one another would go away. That's what that's that's always been the apocalyptic horizon of Christianity. Christ Christ was, I think, a, a political figure. He wanted the Jews to get together and stop uh, immiserating one another on behalf of the fucking Romans. They wanted them to they they wanted the Jews to live as in covenant with one another. How could they do that if they feared the Romans? 
only if they had no fear. So people will go to, so plenty of, we're all going to go to hell to one degree or another. It's not going to be great. What it's going to look like, how it's going to feel is going to vary from person to person. A lot of it is going to be felt here on earth by living people. But it is, it's a, uh, it's a passage like everything else. I do think death is going through a black hole, basically. Something comes out the other side. It's not you, uh, but it's alive because life is eternal. In, in the orb, in the orb we find ourselves in. Spaghetti. I don't know why someone wrote that, but I'm hungry. Butterfly wakes up from the dream that was Shang Tsu. Word. It's true. People say dying is like going to sleep, but you wake up when you sleep. Exactly. You wake up somewhere because it is localized, someone said. Uh, but it's somewhere else. And that's the scary part because that somewhere else can be, and I think historically in certain places has been successfully, prefigured in the world, the life you live in here. But now that's broken. Now we've created hell on earth. So how can it how can we imagine that there's anywhere else to wake up to but hell? But the hell we've created is is a is an illusion. It is an imposition, a, a false sense of a, a false imposition of a of a uh, disembodied consciousness that has been severed from its uh, generative root. But we all individually, one way or the other, come back into contact with that root throughout our lives and then finally and then summarily in the ending of our lives. Okay, there we go. I know that was long, sorry. Now I'm thinking about a dang fish fry at the VFW. I, we did go to those in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, the VFW, uh, VFW Hall. They had it's fried perch, uh, rye bread, applesauce and uh, potato pancakes, which I thought were kind of gross. But I really love the perch. Mm. Walleye is good also. I think a part of what's gnawing at me is that, yes, I should be working on a book, but it is my fear that stops me from it. It's my fear of being, when put on the page, misinterpreted, because uh, I'm a lazy, uh, kind of dumb guy. Uh, and uh, a lot of what allows me to think clearly 
and express myself is the crutch of uh, the ephemeral nature of, of this sort of stuff. And that previous generations of, of media, which require, you know, uh, concrete expression, uh, freak me out. <laughs> uh, but I will say that I have co-written all of the uh, Hell on Earth podcasts. Like, this isn't going to be Hell on Presidents, where it's mostly me just sort of riffing, which I did because I've of that anxiety. Uh, I would try to write stuff down, and it would freak me out too much. And uh, I think it was good, but I, I, I do feel like I have gotten... Uh, I've got. I've been able to refine things more uh, in the project here. So I have been writing, uh, and I do think that the stuff that's in this podcast will be the basis for future writing. Uh, my, my main challenge right now is uh, is is some way to integrate the spiritual stuff with the historical stuff, because it's easy to talk about one or the other. Talking about either in isolation feels insufficient. Uh, that's why, like, fiction seems like it might be the way to do that. Historically, it has been, but, you know, again, fiction requires a aesthetic element that I don't, that I, I question in myself because of my many uh, uh, self-doubts. That was good. Yeah, I feel like I just fill up kind of with sort of pus because there is so much of my life that I, is not, the time is not spent constructively. Uh, and I, I, because of my, you know, because of the, the chains I forged in life. Uh, and after a while, <coughs> I perversely try to kind of increase that sense of anxiety because it motivates me to do the things that I've been conditioned to enjoy, even though I know that they don't bring me any real satisfaction. And then I can lance it. What I want to do more is, 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 is integrate my actions in such a way that the buildup is less. Uh, that's what I'm trying to do. Anyway, I'm, I'm very sorry. I hope I hope this hasn't been total gibberish. Okay, folks. Uh, take it sleazy. Oh, fuck. You know what? I'll go a little longer because somebody asked about a book. I have not decided whether to do this. I want some feedback for anyone who's read this. What about three body problem? Has anyone read that? Do you think it would work for this format? I know it's I know it's a sci-fi novel. All right. We'll do we'll start uh maybe I'll read like the first chapter for next week. I haven't even bought it yet because I just thought of this today as an idea. Uh, so we'll probably just do like maybe first chapter intro 
uh, next week. Or maybe, I don't know. I know Christmas is coming up, but we'll see. All right. Stella Maris. I'll look that up. Oh, the new, the new McCarthy. Perhaps I think we'll do. I think we'll do three body problem first, though. All right. Bye.